This week, the Hands-Off CEO podcast is pleased to share a replay of a popular episode all about how your mindset affects your scalability. Please enjoy, and we'll be back next week with more insights about scaling your business. Is your current success putting a lot of demands on you? If you're good at what you do, and you are, then everyone wants you, but that's no way to scale. If you're delivering spectacular results, you should be commanding higher fees, working with only the best clients. Welcome to the Hands-Off CEO Podcast, where world-class agency owners and consultants learn how to fully monetize their expertise and scale profits by doing less. Here's your host, Mandy Ellison. Hello, this is Mandy Ellison, host of the Hands Off CEO podcast. I am here today with Josh Lamar and Marcelo Quinalato. They are the co-founders of Authentic UX, and what they do is that they help tech companies fast-track domestic and international product growth without wasting money designing and developing products that people won't use. Anything to add to that, gentlemen? For now, but we will add during the podcast. Yes, love it. Okay. So Mar- Marcelo and Josh have, they joined Scale to Freedom about a year ago, and they've had some really incredible shifts. And what's been so fun, though, is to see that both have developed as leaders. And Josh actually was a newer CEO. And to see him really step into this, it's just been absolutely incredible. What we'll talk about is some of the, the mindset shifts that have happened and some of the things that have allowed them to be able to add a million dollars to their very new startup in such a small amount of time. Those are some of the things that we're going to be talking about today here on this podcast. Let's first start out with this. So the two of you started your company at kind of a challenging time, didn't you? We did. Nobody could have foreseen what was going to happen over the course of all of last year. And we had just started the company the year prior, but only for a few months. And it was really as a freelancer. Then we started growing the company as the pandemic started happening at the same time. So we had no idea what was going to happen, but that's the timing that we started really growing the company. And that's when we started working together too. Yeah, I'd say we started in August 2019, but in August, we didn't even have a name or a website. So it's like from total zero. And then like until we got our first client and started working on that. So by the time the pandemic hit, we didn't even have employees. We had one contractor. So I remember this stage that you were at. You had just come through our planning workshop that we do in December, and you guys were geared up, excited, ready to go. And we had talked about next steps. And I remember this next following call. This is when things started unraveling a bit, and we started some things, some changes. I remember there was some fear and some doubt. Can you tell me a little bit about what was showing up for you at that point? For me, it was just there are so many unknowns in how to start a business, build a business, get more employees. There was just so many things I didn't know. And I didn't know if I could learn all of them at the same time. And so for me, my resistance was, okay, I know how to do research and I know how to manage employees. But the whole business side of it was just brand new for me. Specifically talking about fear and stuff, I had more experience managing my business than Josh did. But it's quite different when it's your own business and when it's growing and hiring the employees. But I feel like the whole pandemic situation was a little scary because we didn't have clients for about a month because they were figuring out what to do. So there was doubt of, 
oh, making an investment, but at the same time, not knowing when the next project is going to come and then like having to adapt and changing everything that was around March, April. But then we were able to figure out, I feel like throughout the year, we had several occasions that was in between this choice of should I invest in something that maybe too early, maybe not, but these were the things that allow us to grow in the end. So it's kind of scared of doing it and end up doing it. And then I get the result because I made this choice. And I think week after we started, it was like right around the same time period, we had two projects that we were working on that were in the proposal stages that just got flat out canceled because of COVID. And it was like this moment of, okay, well, we got to double down on this because we already committed to this program and we're going to like do what we can to make it work. But oh, wow, it was starting off at a low. You made that shift. Those projects were canceled, but you had some ideas beforehand that you were starting to see that they might be canceled. So how did the two of you really step into this? You were saying, Marcel, you know, is this too early? I don't know. How did you really step into that and saying this is the right time for us and we're really going to go all in to create this business in spite of the circumstances that which are not ideal? For me, I don't do anything halfway. And if I'm going to commit to something, I'm 110% all the time. And that had been what I was already doing in my previous career, as well as in the early part of the company, as I was basically a freelancer, I just put everything into it. And I knew that you could help us. And I didn't know exactly how, but I had to just say like, you know what, I'm going to commit to this. It's going to work out somehow. And I think this person can help us more than I know how to help myself right now. And that's exactly what we needed was to figure out how we could kind of fast track all of the learnings. Because if we had to have all of those learnings during the pandemic, it would have been a much more difficult year, I think. What helped us about like the fears specifically, there are several things. One is that there were personal choices why we wanted to start this company, but there we also had the vision of how we want to impact people when the world and the gap we saw in the market, the good that we could bring to these clients that we have. And we're just very, very, very committed to it. In the industry, especially Josh's industry, he could have gotten a job and moved back to one of the big tech companies in the USA. They were still hiring and still contacting him. But we were committed to our vision in the company. I think that's number one. Number two, in terms of how to do in terms of fear, is that we started with small things like having an assistant just a couple of hours a week. Because I remember when I started working with you that I didn't want to hire an assistant because I was like, oh, I need to make more money in order to have enough to hire them. So then I can keep growing. And you're saying, no, you hired the assistant. So you free up your time and then the growth will come out of that. So I started with low commitment, monetary investment, and it improved so much my quality of life that I had more time, more sleep to invest on other things, that things started getting better. That then when the time came to make other investments, either employees or in other kinds of technologies or things for the business, I slowly, slowly started being more comfortable with the uncomfort, with the uncomfortable feeling. And then almost always it paid off and it keeps going. Like we just made another commitment yesterday of hiring an extra employee, even though we don't have the project signed, but I have belief that I'm building the capacity of taking more projects because if someone knocks on my door, I can't take any more projects because our employees are committed right now. So I'm already hiring, believing that there will be these extra projects. And magically, we did, after I hired the person, I got an email an hour later of someone wanting to do a project with us by coincidence. I know it's cool, but it's one of those many coincidences happened throughout the whole year. 
that's the thing that I'm seeing happen for the two of you over and over again this entire year. When you could say that clients are canceling projects left and right, you've really created your own reality. You have really leaning more towards investing ahead and really building out the capacity so that you can fill it. And that's one way that we see that companies like yours grow very quickly versus holding back. I mean, how would this look different for you if you would have just said, you know what, we need to see this first. We need to have the project first, then we'll hire. Then we need to have the project first, then we'll hire. How would that have been different for the two of you? The commitment that we made when we made the commitment to our employees, it kind of grew as we grew as a company, as, as we were growing as leaders, because we even started off with like, hey, we have a contract. We hope that there's more. We think that there's more, but we're a really new company. And in the same way that we took a leap of faith, our employees actually took mm. leaps of faith with us by accepting you know, a two, three-month contract with us. And then there was a point around, was it August, September of last year, that we just kind of pulled the plug and said, okay, we're making everybody a W-2 because the world is so worried right now. There are so many people that are losing their jobs. It had been months of seeing so many people, friends and acquaintances on Facebook posting that they had lost their jobs. And our industry is very specialized but it's also something that can be done remotely. And so we didn't want our employees to be worried about if they would lose their jobs. We wanted to make that commitment to them so that we could have them feeling like they were being supported. So that same leap of faith that they took to join us, we wanted to give them that leap of faith of, we're gonna make the projects happen somehow, and we're all gonna be able to work together. I think it really brought us together as a company because everyone started really helping each other out. When you're hourly, it's like, is it worth spending another hour if you're going to help us out with this thing versus now that we're all just full-time employees and things really shift. Sometimes things are really busy, but other times things are not as busy. And that fluctuation is actually, I think, a really good thing for the way that we do our work because we're able to help each other out in ways that have caused us to just grow together as fellow humans. And then when we work together, we work together much more efficiently now. What I am really seeing is, is that you are modeling this certainty, this confidence, and you're building this whole culture around this. And that's why you're getting people enrolled. And even in, in the early beginning stages, you said that you were getting people to on like three-month contracts. And you know, maybe what some of the listeners don't know is that the kinds of people that you need for your, to do your research, these are very highly skilled people, aren't they? Yeah. And it's very technical and difficult at times. So we're really trying to find people that are really intelligent, but also that have diversity because we, we don't want to have people that are all exactly like us. We want to have as much diversity as we can within our company of yeah. backgrounds and educations and countries that they're from and languages. We really care about a global perspective because so much of what we do in our research is global in perspective. In terms of specialization as well, the entry-level position, the industry standards between master's and PhD depends on the job that they're looking for. So we're working with highly specialized people for sure. I know that this was one of the biggest hurdles for the two of you when we were first looking at, is this even the good fit for you moving forward with this? Is that I remember you were saying, well, you know what? We're competing with Facebook and Google and like these other really big tech companies that have just these endless budgets. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the biggest things. You're like, I have no idea how this is going to work because these are the kinds of people that we need to attract in. From where you were at, 
what do you wish you would have known then? Because you took that leap of faith, but you had no idea how it was going to actually roll out. I think that there's so much I didn't know. And there was so much that I, if I could tell myself from a year ago, like, just commit to the really good people that you find, and the rest will work itself out. That's what I would tell myself. Because when we found someone that was good, and we committed to them, then they committed probably 110% to us. I know that some of our employees have even said, I could get a job at one of the big tech companies, but I don't want it anymore. And my Mm -hmm. goal for them is to actually fast track the career growth into, and this is from like, we have a, an employee that only has a bachelor's degree. And typically for research, the master's is the gold standard default for any of the big tech company positions. But I want to create the experience where we're training him, be able to compete and get those jobs and then not want them because our culture and our company is so much better than they can offer. I think in terms of hiring specifically, what I didn't know. So I think committing to them, because I talk to them as well. I think this is what is important in terms of we talk to our employees and we ask like, what is important to you right now? Is it the bigger pay? Is it benefits? Is it a certain kind of work? And all of them say like the world is so uncertain. I would like more stability in my life. This is the number one thing. And uh, one of them said like, the only reason why I would leave is because I need this stability right now. And that's what I offered them, like stability. And that was a leap of faith from us. And I've also been transparent with them with this is how much we're making of money. This is how much our project costs to our clients. So they know the financial commitment I made to them. So they feel like we invested in them in the same way that we know that they took this leap of faith on us. So I think it's mutual and that has helped us. Another thing I think we discovered is that even though we, yes, we do need the masters and lots of years of experience to come up with the structure of the projects, we started investing in people from, like Josh said, with just a bachelor. We did not lower our hiring standards. I think it's important to say. So this particular candidate, I don't know if he'll be listening to the podcast, hopefully he will, <laughs> but like he beat PhD students, master's students with experience. And we are making our second hire now that is a bachelor's student. And she was the only finalist that had the bachelor. Everybody else had a, at least a master's and she was the best candidate again. So we did not lower our hiring standards. We are hiring for their personal knowledge and skill set, but we are being able to find this very, very smart people and training them in-house as well. So that's another leap of faith, right? You mentioned before about the, the training and developing meant that you're doing for them so that actually they are going to become more marketable in the industry. And that mm-hmm. could be a scary thing. It can be scary if you're worried about losing them. But I think that for me, because I had some negative experiences working in corporate America, I want to create an experience for myself as well as for our employees that's going to be far superior to that. And Mm. that's where the name of our company, Authentic UX, comes from. It's about being authentic to ourselves. And it's about also being authentic in the way that we work with each other and the way that we do research with our research participants. Because they're real people too. And if we can communicate who those people are to our clients and what those people care about, then we're doing the world a service by helping make technology better. I thought it was interesting, this comment that I'm not afraid at all of losing them. Because there are two things. One, I do feel we offer an amazing work environment. But even if they want to leave, like I had a meeting with everybody, very much like that book, The Dream Manager, and asked, what their dreams are and where they want to go. And some said they're like, oh, in five to 10 years, I want to be working in this other ultimate goal. And I'm like, okay, let's see how I can help you get to that goal. 
And if that means four or five years of amazing experience with us while they are getting up to that, they will have delivered amazing work through those five years. And if we continue the relationship we have with them now, like it'll be an extra person that I have a great relationship outside of my company. And while they are here, they were doing a great job. So I'm not really afraid. And some of their dreams, let's say, is aligned with some of our internal goals of like expanding to other industries. But then now I know that they're really interested in that particular industry. And I can have them assigned to those projects or help me network in those industries and help us grow the company. And then they will do it with twice the effort and the energy because they're also interested in their long-term goals. So everybody mm-hmm. with that as well. Sounds like a really great win-win. There's such abundance mentality. And that's why you're growing so quickly. I'd love to hear though, from the two of you, how are you seeing the impact, the financial impact of the business from you operating this way? Our business is very cash intensive. So we are profitable and we are, but we have been reinvesting a lot in the business because we need a lot of working capital for this business. So some of our projects, just in cost, one of our projects are delivering now, it's over $200,000 just in cost. And that's money that we need to have in working capital. So for this first year, we have been reinvesting everything we make back into the business, hiring employees, getting this work capital. But yeah, but we've been profitable along the way as well. Are you willing to share what kind of gross sales that you've seen as, I know gross is just the top line, what ha- that you've seen as following in this way? I don't know if that's the best comparison because we only had six months in 2019. Percentages really don't matter because it's kind of, I don't want to say from zero. Yeah, but I can say that we added through our work together, something between 700,000 and a million was because of our work together. Because I feel like we would still be getting projects and working on that. But I think the biggest shift, which has been in the mindset shift that when the pandemic hit, we could have been cowered in fear and stayed as freelancers and freelancers are barely scraping by. But we decided to expand, hire people, even though I felt like I didn't have the money at the time. If I look cold at the numbers, I did have the money, but my fear of, okay, but what if I don't get any more clients and I have to pay all my bills for four months? You know, the scarcity mindset would have not allowed me to hire these people or to keep investing in the business. So I do think that like between the 700 and a million was just because of the mindset shift seven, eight months of last year. Wow. Well, not having a scarcity mindset of really acting out of fear would have cost you between 700,000 and a million dollars. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think way, way, way more than that because that is in a few months of last year. And if you think that that compounds and that if you repeat last year, the 2019 me, if I repeat right now, what I did last year would be, wow, this is amazing. But the 2020 me would be like, oh, this is kind of a, not a failure, but that's bare minimum. I have to do more, especially since once we start hiring employees, we have more costs. So I have to grow at least double this year. And I feel like we will minimum double this year. I'm hoping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you just keep on operating the way that you did last year, I mean, you could just keep on creating that. Answering would be like the 700 could be like 1.5 this year and could be like 5 million next year because I feel like the mindset compounds and the systems compound. And so you have high costs in your company, right? But the big thing about that though is that amount of cash flow allows you to actually invest in your company. It allows you to be able to have this foundation, this strong foundation without having to, I don't know if you've taken out any outside funding. No, yeah, probably invest like a couple thousand dollars to start. So you have bootstrapped a company, but 
you've been able to do that profitably mm -hmm. because of, of really how you're showing up as leaders. Thinking from that perspective, which sounds interesting, it is the mindset because we committed everything into this being right. Everything, including our entire life. We had our whole savings. So we moved to France and we put, yeah, all our life and at stake at this company going. Because I took a sabbatical from my previous career in corporate America and we moved to Paris to really have a time for me to have a sabbatical and learn French and decide what I wanted to do with my life next. And the company really came out of that. And I even turned down a job offer for a company here in Paris as well. And so at that point, it was like, okay, well, like, this is the way that it's going to work out. Because if this doesn't work out, like there's, you know, plan B, C and D, if everything goes wrong, but I'm going to put 110% into making this one work out because that's all we have. Thank you so much for sharing that because see, there's some of the takeaways for the audience listening to this is going 100% all in, just going all in into that and choosing to show up and to act from a place of abundance, from a place of certainty. External circumstances around you wouldn't have created that certainty. You had to create that from within. And yeah. it's really hard to do that too, because I yeah. was scared out of my mind. That's what I was going to ask. Like, <laughs> the way, like some, even of the way that I said, it sounds like it was easy breezy, but it's some of oh. those learnings of like just trusting a lot. And the example of first hiring an assistant or some of the other hires, those are the things that freed up my time that helped me grow the company. But I was scared at the time of doing those investments and those commitments, but I did it anyways. And now... Now I saw that that was the best thing that I could have done, but it didn't mean that like I just did it and it was great. Like, oh yeah, that was easy. Like it was weeks and weeks of like, oh my God, that I did the right thing that I did not do the right thing. Oh, what's going on? And I, this still happens even right now, but I'm just recognizing I'm like very open with Josh even today, making other unrelated investments. It's like, oh, I'm having this scarcity mindset right now. I feel like I'm just afraid. I'm just telling you. So I'm voicing out because I'm aware that this is happening. And looking at the history of every time that I was scared, but I did it anyways, it worked out well. So like, I was just trying to be aware of it and talk through it with him. This was actually going to be my next question. Is what did you do to be able to sit with that fear and to be able to take action anyway, to be able to stay true with the decision you're making? And so what I'm hearing is, is that you stop and you just aware. Look at previous history. of When else have I acted like this when I was afraid and it turned out okay? Is there anything else that you want to add to that? for what you did to be able to combat that fear. A part of this just being the 2020 being the year that it was. And when you throw pandemic on top of all of this, plus confinement, plus we're also married and co-founders and live together in a small apartment. I think that a big part of the awareness was also learning how to be there to support each other in the way that we needed to support each other. Because working together on top of being confined together on top of being partners is a lot to put on any one person. And I think that a big part of that awareness that we've each had internal processes and steps that we've taken towards helping each other have really allowed us to support each other better throughout the process as well. Yeah. Every stage you unlock a new mindset and we're unlocking. And I feel like I'm about to unlock the next level because we started with the freelancer mindset. Both of us had been managers before and both of us had had amazing employees and also horror stories. Yeah. And we're kind of like traumatized by the horror stories. And we're almost like, I'm like, we're discussing when I started to come, like, I'm happy being a freelancer that just has one assistant and that's it. But then we overcame that and we're like, no, we're all in on like building a, 
a large company now that our vision is much bigger and we're thinking of like the projects that we want to achieve. One of the ones we're delivering now is five people committed to one project. So we could never deliver that as freelancers and do this. And it's a super fun, amazing project as well. So then you start being more comfortable with a small team than a larger team. And I feel like now we're starting to be comfortable with a larger team and bigger commitments and that kind of stuff as well. And also we've been taken out of the day-to-day execution of the, of the projects. I'm still very involved in the creation of the proposal stage and coming up with the research methodology that will best fit the research questions. And then as soon as the project starts, we have another researcher take over and we're involved in reviewing these things, but we're out of the day-to-day so that we're really able to start focusing on getting those other projects going because the sales cycle is very long in our industry and especially working with big tech companies like we have to be able to be flexible to their schedule and their needs and their fiscal years it's uh, a very strange building uh, relationships <laughs> then trusting you there are lots of things some projects that were closing now it has been like 14 months of conversations from first contact to now so we're getting the fruits of our labors but it's several months it's sales slow. cycle <laughs> And that's just adds on a whole other level of trust that you have, that you have these longer pipelines and you know that these projects are going to show up and you continue to invest, even though that the, you might not get another project that's related to this one. As you're selling, it might not be six months, 12 months down the line. So how are you managing that longer term pipeline so that you can be consistently bringing in the work to generate the growth you're growing for how your company is growing? The first thing that I thought of was that our focus is really on executing very well and giving really high quality research findings so that we're not just answering the question that they ask us to, we're giving them all of the additional context of what's going on in order to help them make better decisions for their products in the future. And it starts with delivering a really exceptional customer service to our clients and Mm. building these processes and systems internally so that we're able to do that in a way that is all fast, but also really high quality. And that's the thing to focus on the pipeline side of it. The word gets out. Once people know that we do good work, they want to work with us again. And so we get a lot of repeat work with clients or they introduce us to other people because they saw that we did something that they really liked. So that's been helping a lot in terms of the long-term strategy. I think I'll add two things here. We've been very honest and not giving the client what they want. Sometimes they come with a project and then we're like, the way you structure is not the best. You could approach this problem differently. We are not the best match for it right now. Or many other advice. And it has happened that like, we just told someone like, yeah, I should be doing this project differently. It didn't work out. And then six months later, someone sends an email like, oh, yeah, I want to work with you right now. This other person said that you're amazing. And we thought that that other person who never responded to our emails ever again, like had forgotten that we even existed. But I feel like they came out with a good impression of us advising them through the process. Yeah, so that's one. And then two would be that big part of last year as well, besides growing our sales and delivering amazing results was really, really a focus to deliver these projects because we could have even have closed more projects, but I feel like the quality of the service wouldn't be as good because we didn't have good enough systems. Now we have 
better employees, better trained employees. I have done so many projects that like our systems are incomparable. They exist now. I was going to try to find a word to compare. Yes, I think (laughs) they didn't exist before. (laughs) Yeah. So like they exist and they spent a year of refinement. So now we can start adding several multiple projects in parallel. And some of them need our involvement from beginning to end. We have senior members of our Mm -hmm. team who can handle from beginning to end as well, even better than we can in a lot of things. Everybody has a different specialty. So I feel like right now we can start adding more people because our systems are going to work out with those people. But if we had, I don't know, doubled from where we are right now last year, then maybe they would have broken. So I think that helps the sales pipeline that we had this commitment, we deliver good work and these people are coming back to us. And while these people are repeat customers, we're reaching out to new ones. Thank you for sharing that. One of the things that I remember we had talked before you started Scale to Freedom, I remember looking at you know the systems for how to scale this, this really high touch work. It seems like you can't even develop systems around that when you're dealing with employees that are really high level and everything is a little bit boutique. Your current company is rather boutique. And we can talk a little bit more about where we're going to continue to scale to the next, next levels. But for the time being, what have you learned about creating systems within the structure that you have where things are actually quite custom? There's flexibility in the rigid structure. And I think that one of my favorite examples in the realm of poetry is actually this poem by Dylan Thomas, Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. It's this very strict structure of metric and verse and rhyme scheme that is actually a French poetry form. And so there's very few of them that exist in English. And this is one, and it's beautiful. And there's so much, once you set all the constraints, there's so much freedom and flexibility there. And I think that that's how we're trying to approach it in that everything that we do is a little bit custom. And yet once the research starts, then we have processes and systems that allow us to have the flexibility to deliver what the client needs, but in a way that is systematized so that the execution happens. And part of the process of finding the right people for the right thing means that sometimes we're getting people that are really highly educated and highly skilled. And sometimes we have other people that are assisting those people. And so they're learning throughout the process, but then they're also helping that person to get more done at the same time. So really utilizing different levels and skill levels of talent so that you can really (laughs) optimize the bandwidth for your senior most people. How does that impact your profit margins though, to be able to have multiple different layers of seniority in your company? It's great for that because we end up being able to retain more money in the business. Yeah, I think one thing we changed without compromising on quality at all, actually, I would say even increasing quality, is Mm -hmm. that before we wanted a senior person, and when I say senior, I'm thinking 15 years of experience in more like Fortune 10, 10 big tech companies in the USA, that kind of person per project. But now we're seeing that like in many projects, we can just have that person come up with the methodology, do client relationship come up with the structure of the project, but then it be executed by more junior members of the team. Again, they're still highly educated, highly specialized people, but we don't need this person. And more as a manager, rather than like executing the project from beginning to end. So then we only need one senior person can maybe oversee two to three projects at the same time. 
because we have multiple people working on the project rather than having just this one senior person, we have multiple people with multiple perspectives. So the junior people, again, very intelligent. So also bringing their own expertise and their own brain into this project. So then I have two, three people working on it. And then I can take on more projects as well in a more scalable way. That is the actual model that we see working really well for scaling the more of the boutique type of services. And with these junior level people, you're actually training and developing them so that at some point they can become senior themselves. Yep. Yes. So it really allows this whole bandwidth to grow continually within your whole company. And that's where you're going to have that's those skills as you're moving into 10 million, 20 million, $30 million company. And you having those people that you built that culture already within. Yeah. And another piece that's really important is that there are very few, very senior people that are really looking for jobs right now. If anyone's keeping them, it's those people. Mm -hmm. But there are a ton of recent graduates that are extremely intelligent and everybody's looking for work right now. And we can be so much pickier about who we want to join us because if I just wanted a smart person, there's so many smart people out there, but I want someone that's smart, that has a global perspective, that cares about really improving the lives of people around the world and fits within the culture that we've created. We screen for culture first. We have very good candidates, but not culture fit. Culture comes first and then the rest. That's the first disqualifier. The first question for our process is culture. And then we analyze their skill set. That is important. But what Josh said is true that like, especially in the big tech, they're hiring a lot right now. Like in our clients, every project that we do, there is a new person who just got hired into the team and they're all senior. So there is an abundance of jobs for those senior people. It's it's more competitive to get them. But for the graduates, it's an amazing opportunity for, it's a win-win situation. I feel like if I, and it's not because it's my company, but if I had this job when I graduated, that would have been my dream job because we're trying to do everything we can to be be that amazing experience. And some of our junior employees have exposed them to kind of thing that people with 10 years experience in big tech company had never come across that kind of oh, experience. Yeah. The fact that we're doing international research all the time is such a gift because it's so interesting. As soon as you start looking at whatever the product is in the US, that's pretty standard. But then you compare that to people in other countries around the world. And we worked in several continents now. And it's just so exciting to see the diversity of perspectives and approaches to the same product around the world. So it's truly a gift to be able to do this research at all. And many researchers in the USA don't get to do this kind of research for most of their career. And the moment I discovered international research, I was just hooked because it's so exciting to learn about how different and similar we are around the world. Well, I'm loving this. I'm hearing so much passion for the work the two of you are leading in your company. I can really see how you're attracting in these type of team members and employees to really help you grow your company. Something I really want to point out, and those people are listening that How do I be able to attract these higher level people? How do I be able to scale when I need this high level of a person? How do I be able to scale when everything is so custom? You have just laid out a way that you've done it that has been successful. And this is something we've been teaching for a while, but so often people just can't see it. Leaders just can't see how that lays out. So I'm so grateful that you laid out how that's worked for you. So that others listening can hear it and say, well, you know what? That's a way that I can actually implement this in my own company. 
And I think that especially for our most senior employees, the culture was a huge part of why they want to leave where they were at before and continue working with us. Because we can offer an experience, even if we can't pay them quite as much, we're still competitive, but not as much as top companies in the world. But at the same time, they're getting so much more out of the experience that they've told us that that is really the reason that they want to continue working with us. At some point, once money doesn't matter anymore, you're already at a certain point. All of a sudden, all of the other things are so much more important to you. On that as well, there's on what Mandy was saying about getting the clients and continuing these relationships. I think one of the best testimonials we got from a client is like, oh, you're one of my favorite agencies to work with because I feel like you care. So Mm -hmm. many people don't care, but with you, I feel like I care. And one of our biggest wins is that, for example, for our senior employer, it's really worth it investing in people who are passionate like we are, who care. And we get these reviews now that like before people are like, I want Josh, I want Josh. Is Josh going to be in this project? I I don't know if I'm going to do this project if Josh is not there. But now they started being like, oh, but I want them. I want like specific employees. (laughs) Yeah. Because and then they forget about Josh, basically. But it's like, (laughs) it's the best gift, you know, in some ways that like it means that like they're really loving our employees and our employees are also loving the clients they're working with. It's the ability of trusting people and them caring as well, because we care, our employees care as well. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. So many people have that question. All of my clients ask for me. They keep asking for me. How do I get so that they're going to ask for my employees for someone on our team? You laid out exactly how that's done is you're leading through your culture and you're really attracting in people who want to do a great job and are passionate about it. And it's because the two of you are passionate. You're leading this and your team is showing up this way to match your level of commitment. Yes. Yeah. All of them are very passionate. So moving towards your offer, you know, we haven't talked about your offer very much at all. And this first year has been a lot of how do we be able to manage the inflow and be able to keep it going? We're doing this high level work. How do we be able to staff this? How do we be able to hire the right people? I know that your assistant, you've been actually developing with you into an operations manager. How has that been going? Amazing. Best person ever. (laughs) So how has her working with Jennifer in the Operations Academy and, you know, the work they've done together, how has that helped her to be able to really advance to this operations manager who can help run your company? So she started out as just doing some of the time-consuming, repetitive tasks. Admin assistant. She was our admin assistant. But we hired her because we know she's smart and organized. And I'm not (laughs) organized, at least. (laughs) And and I was overwhelmed because I was literally going to bed at three in the morning every day. I even got sick. It was too much. So it was this decision of, I can't do this anymore. So it came from that place. And I'm like, okay, we know this person. She is smart and organized. And they kept showing up to work more and more and being more involved and more curious and asking more questions. And we started developing and and that's what happens. I tell them all the time that when you hire the right people, I feel like the growth that that person had in a year, it's going to be a year, I think in a month. Yeah, it's like 11 months. What I would expect from a really superstar in two to three years. But I feel like when you find the right person at the right position that they were just not appreciated in their other jobs or their other careers that they had, they can develop so quickly. And that has been an example. And she has been going through the calls. She has been learning for Jen. From the very beginning, she had her own words, basic questions that are kind of like look so silly right now. 
But for the time now, she's making her own decisions. She's advancing. She's thinking of, I'm hoping in the next couple of months that she'll get an assistant. So for herself, and she knows exactly how to manage the assistant because she's been there, but she has a lot of work. The Operations Academy has helped her grow as a person. And for me, like what really matters, and just as you have taught us to paint a bigger picture for our clients, sometimes it also means that we paint a bigger vision for what our employees can be for themselves. And throughout this process, she's started uncovering a bigger vision of what her goals are and what she's capable of. And our opportunity here is really to create that experience for her so that she's growing at the pace that she wants to grow in. And my management philosophy of this is really to keep giving people as much as they can take until something breaks. And then when it breaks down, okay, let's take a look at what's going on. Let's figure out why. Let's understand what learnings are happening and how it could be done differently in the future. And let's keep going. And in the same way, she's growing at the pace that's beyond what we were expecting, mostly because she started as a admin assistant. But then now that she's discovering this bigger vision for herself, the company is expanding as well to allow her to take on more things. That is so incredible. So the level of growth in a year that you would expect in at least three. Minimum. On top of the fact that yeah. this person is learning this realm of qualitative UX research oh, yeah. on top of everything else. And it's not an easy industry to get into because it's so specialized in specific. And yeah. so there's that too. We're even watching a talk online by someone with you know over 10 years experience. Oh yeah, our operations manager could give that talk and could give a better talk in less than a year of experience. Like if our operations manager was giving this talk, it'd be so much better. And this was from someone who didn't even know this industry existed a, wow. a year. So yeah. the commitment goes both ways. Mm -hmm. We're investing in coaching and giving opportunities to her, but she's also super committed to us as well. Mm -hmm. And that goes a long way. In both ways of like the decision-making she's having right now, it's much higher of coming up with new processes, seeing processes that are breaking that I'm not seeing because I'm not super on the day-to-day -day anymore and starting to create starting solutions. To fix them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Before we know they exist. <laughs> And also allowing us to remove ourselves. I'm still more on the day-to-day -day than Josh. I think Josh is much less on the day-to-day, -day, but I'm still more, but I'm helping fix and create processes. But like, I can leave for a week and know that it's not going to burn down and everything is going to be awful. And that's how it would have been in February last year. We're in January. So February last year, <laughs> I would have been panicked to leave for a week. It'll be a disaster. One of the things that I've noticed about the two of you as a partnership is that you have really elevated the company so that there's really space for the two of you to be in very senior roles. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I see a lot of times with partnerships in consulting agencies is that, especially when they're earlier, maybe before seven figures, or after this, I see it a lot too, is that their vision for their company is so small that they're doing the same type of job together. And there really is not enough growth to justify both of them in there. So what ends up happening is, is that they're just splitting the profits between the two of them. And there's just not enough space for them. But what the two of you have done is really expanded this vision for the business so that the business has grown so that, they, that you truly can be executives. And I mean, it comes back again to like, I feel like I've broken record here, but it comes back again to your mindset, and how you're showing up, that your willingness to know what you know and know what you don't 
and actually continue to get that support so that you can hold that mindset. But anyway, I just want to acknowledge you for that because I'm observing how you're showing up as partnerships. And you know, we work with some partners, but not a lot because a lot of times we're seeing with some of the partnerships, they get into like this echo chamber where they think that between the two of them, they have everything that they need. And all they have to do is talk back and forth and they'll figure it out. And those echo chambers continue to be the ceiling for their business. So how have you guys kept yourself away from this echo chamber? Because I don't see that with you. Very early on, a year ago in our company, we didn't know what we needed to do or what our roles should be. And so we were both kind of doing the same thing together all the time which is a massive, massive waste of time. I remember spending three hours writing an email together and then we would just be constantly going back and forth what exactly we have to say and why. It's such a waste of time. And I know that as soon as we just divided up the responsibilities and we said, okay, Josh, you're doing these things. Marcello, you're doing these other things. We don't have overlap. And even now, we barely see each other during the day because we have to work in different rooms because we're on different kinds of calls at the same time. And I think that it's because of the division of responsibility that has allowed us to work together so much better. I agree with everything Mm -hmm. that you say. I think it was mostly when we started working with you that made me, made us realize, because we're basically co-CEOs before. And then I was okay with Josh is the CEO because he is the voice of the company. He's the specialist in the craft of research. I know a lot about the systems of doing international research, which is essential to the delivery of our services, but in terms of UX, design, Josh is the authority on this. So it makes sense that he's the CEO. So we had discussed, okay, who should be taking care of marketing? Who should be taking care of sales? Who should be taking care of this? And then we divide it up. And it was one of those, oh, maybe we need to grow to then share. But like, I feel like we also were able to grow because we separated everything and we weren't on top of each other all the time. Because besides the waste of time, It was also generating extra work that didn't need to be generated and extra conflict if there's always two people. Right now, we respect each other's areas of expertise. But at the same time, there are certain things that we still consult on each other to make the decision. Like for creating a proposal, Josh creates the proposals, but I review them. I offer a different perspective. I see what is missing. You make sure the numbers work. Yeah. If I'm making a big decision as well, then I ask him as well. and, And then we work through it together. I think another way to put it is we're there for each other when we need it. We can offer a different perspective on the same thing in a way that's helpful, but that if that wasn't there, like obviously we would only do big decisions together, but for little things, I trust you just because me not thinking about it is so much better. Than- yeah, so, so really what I'm hearing is, is the two of you have really learned a level of trust and this division of labor you're in charge of this, I'm in charge of that, and being very clear on where your job ends and the other one begins. And you have this multiplier effect because of that. I'd say our happiness went up as well. <laughs> yes, also. Because <laughs> it generates, for on top of each other all the time, it creates, like I said, more conflict that is not necessary as well. And I know that a lot of people have partnership with a family member or someone they're married to or a roommate or a best friend. And that's basically it. We're married in confinement in a small Parisian apartment working together. It's also (laughs) healthy for us to be separating. And that has made everything else, both our relationship in the company and outside of the company better. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. You guys are just dropping 
nuggets of gold left and right. And, but we cannot conclude this interview until we actually talk about your offer because we've talked a lot about you building this company, but your research product is really so interesting and so valuable. You know, I know that it literally saves the companies you work with sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars with the work that you do. Can you tell me a little bit more about who you serve and what kind of outcome that they get and that the problems that you're solving for them? Right now, and what very frequently happens is that a client will want a very particular specific thing and they want us to do this type of study for them to understand blah. But the thing is, is that we keep seeing the same problems over and over and over again. And it's often because the clients aren't always thinking about their products in the same vantage point as their customers are. For us, it's really about understanding the problem and the the research questions in a new way to actually show a broader perspective and then tying it together across multiple studies and multiple ways of approaching a research problem. Because if you look at it too narrowly focused, you'll get an answer, but that answer might not have the context that is required. So broader perspective, it sounds like the problem is, is that the companies that are launching these products don't really understand their customers. And as a result, they're building the wrong thing. They're investing millions of dollars in developing a product that people don't even want. So before we started doing, you know, these companies have very specific problems. Let's say I just want to understand how users in Brazil are using this one specific feature of my product. And then, and we can do, and we do these studies all the time, but then we're coming up with an offer that is looking at the end to end is like, well, we're just looking like if they're having problem with this, but have you asked them if they actually care about them? But do they have even a bigger problem behind it that you're not solving? Do they have other things that they care about that you should be focusing instead your time off and not on this thing that you already right. have? So we have this framework, both for products that have been built and hasn't been built, that it looks end to end of like, is this a good idea? Do people care? Does it solve a problem that people actually have? Will people use it? And then go all the way up to like it being launched and then just improving the usability of the product. And then there is the international validation aspect because there is the cultural imperialism from the USA to the rest of the world, but also I would say like, let's say from uh, Asian companies and then rolling out to the rest of the world. Let's say an American company think that everybody's like an American. A French company thinks everybody's French. So we test it out across several different markets to see like, are people in the rest of the world care about this as well? Are they different? So when you approach your research in this different way, though, I hear that the progress from your product used to be, they want this feature, you know, it will do this research project for them. And everything's totally custom from there. From then looking at a broader perspective what do they actually want to do? And what do they actually want to do is they want to be able to, to successfully launch a domestic and then international product. So how is your process? Because when we put together the client success map and walking through that process together, really the opportunity I saw for the two of you, what you're building is expanding the vision for them. And in the expanding the vision, you actually allows it to be more scalable for you. And you having a clear process for getting them a much bigger vision than they even thought was possible. When they're just sitting here messing around with different features, you're like, whoa, whoa, wait, you're looking at the wrong thing. Let's actually build you a product that you can scale and bring to market um, internationally. 
how many years are you seeing that cuts off when they're actually approaching it in the way that your special way of doing it? A lot. Yeah. yeah. Because I think that it's so easy to build a product in the US and think everyone else in the world is just going to use it exactly in the same way. And over the course of my career in research, I've discovered over and over again that that is absolutely not the case. And so what we've built in our client success map is a process that we can go through that will just shortcut all of those many little decisions that you make wrongly so that if you develop it the right way at the first time, then you're actually developing it as you go, but you're developing it in a way that is going to be wider use across the markets that you care about. Yeah, I think in terms of saving time, at the bare minimum six months, but it can be years and years because it has happened even with one of our clients, like product that had maybe, I don't know, I'm estimating like a thousand people working on that product, rolling out globally, so much effort going on, can be years and years of building that product, but people didn't like it. Just getting that kind of feedback change the direction and go to this other. Just think of the salary and the money and like, and what if a competitor goes and build that product better and faster and gets all the market share before you? So there is all the opportunity costs on top of the time and then the money and then the direct cost of the developers and marketing and all the other teams on that. And then on the other hand, there are other things that like, this is working out really well. How do you keep your market dominance? And then what are the things that really matter for you to keep this market dominance? So that's another way that also we help our clients. And that's part of your promise too, right? Is saving them hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars in some cases, being able to launch their product in a fraction of the time. The frustration we saw is that by doing just a a small part of the process, like we're doing right now, sometimes we give them a lot of information to improve their products. But by having the bigger picture, they can see everything. We're helping them think broader. Are you even asking the right question? And then you zoom out and you can see like, should I be investing the next year in growing this product at all? Just before we wrap it up, the bigger perspective that I'm seeing for the for what you're building right now that is so exciting is that gone from these one-off type of projects that made as much lower impact than these larger projects. Now you're expanding the, the full steps into helping them see the bigger picture, which adds more value, which allows you to increase your client lifetime value, which is also more scalable than the smaller one-off pieces that of research that wasn't scalable before. I agree. Yeah. yeah. And that's what the real value of the client success map. So just as this, this last piece there, if anyone, they want to look you up, where can they find you? We are on Facebook and LinkedIn. And we have a website, it's AuthenticUX.com. Or you can just search for AuthenticUX on Facebook or LinkedIn. Okay, great. Well, we'll put this in the show notes. Thank you so much, Marcelo and Josh, for taking the time. This has been incredibly valuable. I am really excited to see the business continue to grow. I mean, I see this next step for you is really taking where you're working with the Fortune 10s right now, and you have so much growth that's been the base, is building this whole other side, expanding this whole other side that's serving a market that is maybe a little bit more scalable and that allows you to grow that much faster. So ahead of you here, it's really exciting. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having us.